Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer. We defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. You shall not crucify mankind. Hello, I'm Cyrus, and joined once again by my brother Chase and our producer Alex. Welcome back. Last week we did an episode that was a little more socialist heavy, a little theory heavy on that side, with uh, Chase asking some questions about my beliefs. Today we're going to turn that around and make Chase's general political and uh, spiritual ideology a little bit more of the focus. So, Yeah, appreciate you, Cyrus. And this is one of the core reasons, maybe top two, three, besides brotherly love and figuring you out that I want to do this because uh, Jesus Christ has brought me closer to him. And that has, as I mentioned, I think last time, personalized a lot of my beliefs. It's certainly drawn me closer to the Bible. And that has drove me further away from some of the hardcore ideological uh, beliefs I had, particularly libertarianism and particularly staunchly pro-capitalist. And so I think I'm going to go or through- laissez-faire free market just in general kind of. Yeah, man, it's, it's even tough to g- describe. We'll get into it. And what I'm hoping to walk through and maybe explore at the beginning and through future conversations is how to express my belief in politics and in public and what I should be doing, because I believe that I've got a social civic obligation as a Christian, especially, and as an American, as like a, you know, veteran. I just don't know what that means yet. And so that's what we're doing here today. Uh, Appreciate your patience. Yeah, I think in America, at least, and in other parts of the world, to to some degree, probably not as great as, uh, as of a degree here, but that Christianity and like the conservative movement or the GOP specifically are are very much intertwined. And that I think has been pros and cons to that, the, that belief system. But I think it definitely is interesting to explore that because I have always been generally aware of how your, your you know, your um, political beliefs were motivated or informed by your uh, religious beliefs. But I think as you've come more in touch with like your spirituality or what you see as the core of of Christianity and Christian thought, it's definitely it's almost made you less clear about what what you what you are into. And I think that's, you know, kind of interesting dichotomy. And I feel the same way from a political perspective. So I think more or less what I would really like to see you talk about is, you know, how is kind of like Christ and Christianity guided your your steps through life you know what does that progression look like what do those stages um look like and and how do you reconcile all that yeah i appreciate it so uh, there's a lot of story Uh, maybe i start with what do you think what i believe a little bit of why i believe it and in that why i believe it we'll get into and 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 zip through stories in this combo and in future ones how's that sound yeah sounds good to me i'll let you uh, take the reins uh, so I believe in Jesus as a man and as a son of God, like born of a virgin. And I'll throw out a, a core assumption I have right now that I think a lot of uh, maybe more modern progressive Christians don't care about is that uh, Jesus raising from the dead. If he didn't raise from the de- dead, then everything I believe is going to fall apart because a lot of what I believe in is that he can help me raise f- uh, from the dead while I'm living. Like I can leave behind things and connect to God. Um, so up front, there you go. Um, first of all, you know, Jesus, who was he? Um, who did he think he is? His disciples, his, his, you know, his, uh, his, his enemies. I think it's pretty clear through a couple different things, what, what he said, why he was crucified, uh, what his disciples believed that he thought he was the son of God. He used a few different times enough to be pronounced God's most holy name for himself. Like I am the great I am. And hence that was a heresy to any, you know, good Jew or Muslim and worth killing him. And so it's really fascinating that how he gets an interesting rap as, as a good preacher, because anybody that thinks they can forgive people's sins and they are God is either crazy, they're lying, or they might be what they're, what, what they tell, what, what they're saying. They might be the son of God. Or some people are lying about what they said, but that's, you know, that goes into a lot more historiography, which. Yeah. Well, you know, I I can, I, I, yeah, just into some Bible studies right now, just on the side where we're, we're sort of talking about that. And I think there's enough evidence, right? Like there's enough Roman evidence outside the Bible, whether it's 
Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian, whether it was Pliny the Younger writing to Emperor Trajan, or whether it was, oh man, who's the other guy? Uh, Tactus, writing about the early church. And we're talking less than 100 AD or right there within, right? I think Pliny was a little older. And so you've got testimonies where you think like these early Christians, before it went corporate, before it went to the Holy Roman Empire, they thought Christus, Greek name for Christ, was God. And so we've got to sort of wrestle with that, right? And then you've got a lot of the just the eyewitness accounts from the disciples, from other church leaders that aren't in the Bible, Polycarp, Ignatius, that it's just to quickly address what I believe, but also tying in why I believe it. It's very uncommon for people to die for a lie, especially painful deaths like of Roman torture. Right. And so all these people died very painful deaths, believing that Christ was God and that he'd performed these miracles and he had the power to do all these things. And so I guess I went into that intro first because very commonly, especially with like postmodern Western America, Christianity is not thought to be a religion of intellectualism at all. Right. I believe certain things happen and there is evidence for those things, archaeological evidence, personal evidence, circumstantial evidence. Therefore, I'm confronted with like having to make a decision about those that those pieces of evidence. So that's just a real light overall sort of why I believe that secularly. Right. And whether or not the story of Jesus is true, like certainly his followers and the early ones believed it. And, and that I think, I think think it's fair to say that's, that's what he was saying about himself. Yeah. He thought that was what was, what it was. He was a rock steer star in early Judea. Like, and even his enemies were calling him evil and, and uh, healing people by the, by Belzebub, not calling him a fake. And so, Hmm. Clearly things were happening. That's enough to get me interested. So you, you know me, or, or you know that I was the first one baptized in our family. I feel like I was the first one, praise God, that really started taking it serious and really trying like, who is Jesus? I did say- yeah, I remember when I was younger and I uh, talked to, I told parents I wanted to get baptized. It was probably like seven or eight at the time. You were the lone voice at the table being like, I don't think he's ready. <laughs> Which was, I mean, you were only 13 or, or 14 then. It was from a Did young Did you get age, baptized in middle school? I, I, I think you got baptized in middle school. I got baptized in middle school. Yeah, I guess so you would have been in, in high school or something. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I forgot about that. You know, and okay, so you asked about me and what I believe. So mom and dad scraped up enough money where we were at in Southern California to send me to a private school for a few years. Happened to be a Christian school and introduced to just sort of the concepts there. You know, I threw out sort of a, a bomb about abortion in the first episode. That's like the first interaction, though, I had with God. Like, mom and dad always told me that, hey, look, like, God gave us to you as a surprise. At 18, you're God's again. And so, you know, that was sort of their background. And (laughs) where we're coming uh, from. Yeah. And so I always thought, like, okay, like, maybe I'm God's kid or whatever that meant. And I remember, man, having my first flat out spiritual experience. I was seven years old and alone in bed crying because I was just jacking stuff up. And, um, man, I asked Jesus to come into my heart and make me a better person. And Cyrus, I, as a seven-year-old man, I remember exactly how I was laying in bed. I, I had a spiritual experience. I swear angels were singing around me. And so I have had a dozen or more of crazy, unexplainable episodes like that. Um, was it the angels who told you to give me Charlie sessions? Is that uh, where that God, came from? See, no, they didn't. <laughs> and you know what, um, man? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> And so I think a lot of my life up until hopefully 2013, I'm still in this now, though, is like me using God for a means to the end. Basically, OK, I believe this. He's sort of like going to sign blank checks when I want a prayer request. But ultimately, I'm trying to run my life and whatever. And man, God tried to humble me a few times. Like I smashed my knee and I was out for a year in high school. You remember that? Almost. I, I wanted yeah. to kill myself at that point. And you know what? I mean, just even to- I from a young age could tell it was a pretty identity shattering moment. Um, someone who his life kind of revolved around football at that point. Yeah. Right. I didn't think I was doing anything after, you know, like just going to work or whatever. And um, I remember a few times, man, God being there for me and feeling peace when I didn't have any peace or getting arms wrapped around me. And so again, I was much more of a consumer. Right. And then being married, man, almost not being married, really jacking stuff up. I've, uh, I've had to hit the reset button and go, what do I really believe? What's really the purpose of all this is, um, is, you know what? I I think I had one of my, I'm hopping around a bit, but one of my greatest intellectual challenges to my faith at West Point, while I was reading all this Ayn Rand stuff, who, you know, was an atheist. And to summarize a lot of her anti-God arguments, she's basically saying, hey, if your best definition for God is that you can't explain him and he's too big to comprehend and most of the benefit comes after death, get out of here. 
like religion, OP to the masses. I've seen it done. Get out of here. And she had some good points and was writing in the face of a really oppressive religious establishment and like, you know, a new age moral progressivism. And yeah, so, the countries in Europe that are that were historically the most like state enforcement of religion are the ones that are the most secular now. Yeah. And so I had an ex- another experience. I wouldn't even add maybe count this as one of the dozen odd ones. And this is what happens when you read scripture, I think. And I, from my experience, and I, I commend it to anyone who's interested. If you're interested and learn about God, you can pray to him and ask him, you know, lead me to something. And you can start reading, flip open the Bible, and something that jumps out at you and grabs you is the Spirit of God talking to you. And I did that. I did a red letter read of the Bible. Like, I wanted to only read what Jesus had to say because I felt everything else was a little too legalistic and a man regulation around who this Jesus character was. Jesus threw out the whole gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I get to the end of John, John 17. I'm still on the edge thinking, I'm like, man, am I going to lose my faith? Jesus says something in his last high priestly prayer in John 17 that just rocked my world. He said, he's thanking God for sending him. And then he says, thank you, God, that I, I may, paraphrasing, show, the, show them that they may know eternal life, to know you, the one true God and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. Like, that is eternal life. And I was also reading Confucius and, you know, Lao Tzu and a couple other things at the time. And so it was super East, Eastern of Jesus to say, to know God and Jesus is eternal life. Like, because if that's the case, I can have start having eternal life right now. You're already it's not in coming it. happening. Like I can be plugged in as if you believe Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus leaves to give us the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God. I can have the Spirit of God inside of me, and it is electrifying when when we let Him do that, and when largely when I get myself out of the way. And so that set up a precursor. Okay, back to the story of me getting married. Oh man, I felt like uh, my priorities turned inside out. And man, I, I made some big mistakes on um, which we may get into later. Some of them aren't my stories to tell, but man, I felt, I experienced some forgiveness from God and some, and some love from other church members that I just don't think is typical in, in what I've seen around just because like, uh, man, people love both of us, me, her separately. It was one of those like where, you know, we, we were living separate and it was, it was nasty. And when you, when you, I guess what I'm saying is like, when you when you pray really hard and you've got a lot of guilt and regret and anger and bitterness and whatever else, and, and it's, it's almost overwhelming. And then you are praying fervently and then it goes away. And then, you, you know, it's, I'm not hearing audible voices here, but I'm, 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 I'm hearing a voice in my head going like, it's going to be okay. I've got you. Marriage might not work out, but I, I have you, you are forgiven. It's like, what can you do in response to that? But go, Oh my God. How do I not like, I, I want to serve you more. I want to learn about you more. I want to be more like you. And so, and so, okay. To wrap some of this up is that, man, Jesus allows us, allows us to do that. Sin, big problem comes into the world. A real quick overview on sin. If I had to explain it one way, it's like when we make, when we worship something other than God, when we create an idol, right? We de-glorify God. We de, we de-honor God, whether it's an item, a duty, another person, boyfriend, girlfriend, a longing, like a goal, or even a suffering or sex or anything. When we glorify something as a God and it gives us identity and worth, and it's not God given us the son of God, daughter of God, that's, that is a straight up easy bookmarked sin. That's in a way it's almost kind of uh, in a way it's almost kind of Buddhist, you know, in the sense of, of abandoning, abandoning desire or abandoning the expectation that some material desire you can get in this world will bring you you know, ah, satisfaction. Dude, I'm so glad you said this and keep me from rabbit holing Cyrus, but that's not true. I thought the same thing, right? And I've bought into this thing called Christian hedonism a little bit. And that might freak some people out or, you know, our particular denominations out there. But basically what it's saying is that the universal desire to be happy is human. Like that is every time culture, uh, world history, all humans have wanted to be happy. Therefore, we're probably created with that desire. And if we're created with that desire, it's not necessarily bad. It can be in bad expression, but, but we shouldn't resist it. If God gave it to us, we should seek to intensify it. And I'm not talking like going out and smoking peyote naked in a forest. I'm talking like really examining our, our own desires and trying to figure out what's going to make us the happiest, the longest, truly. And I've been led to, I can only find enduring, recycling, increasing happiness Purpose, peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, faith, gentleness, and self-control in God. Everything else 
is sort of like a drug that I need more of and I feel bet worse after. Does that make right. sense? Right. Well, that 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 drug is is, you know, I think largely consumer capitalism, obviously. That's what replaces <laughs> most people's idol. You know, that's what takes up most people's idol is whatever thing they need to get next to keep them either A distracted from their lives or B you know, just keep them yeah. have something, something to look forward to. But if you, if you don't have some like real, I, obviously it sounds weird saying, you know, God is real, but that, that belief is real. That belief is, is tied to something existential and powerful rather than a belief in satisfying your immediate desires. I guess well, that's sort of what I mean. I guess we got to examine our, and our immediate desires, right? So just to wrap up that last point and, and join it to your, your comment there. I believe if we examine our desires and examine our hearts, examine our souls, we are created with a hole in it. We want reunion and connection with God. And when we have it, we feel complete. That's, that's how I feel. And the only thing that will fill a God-sized hole in our spirits or souls is God. And Jesus can connect us to us because he forgives us for our sins through his sacrifice and death. And I am pretty hardcore when we say, and I'm going to piss a lot of people off with two of these statements here. Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In that, you need the blood of Jesus to be saved and to have reunion with God in this life or the next. Jesus also so said, that, that, that's, that's one like, second. I think, what, okay, just, and then please challenge, but what he said is that people are only held accountable to what they know. And if you're some unchurched people in, you know, wherever in America, Africa, Asia, Europe, that we, we have a good, just God who's not sentencing people to hell willy nilly. At least we can all agree that uh, Australians are not entering the gates of heaven. Thank you. So I've been there. <laughs> Finally, nice people, someone but... with the, uh, the the balls to say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they've had it too good for too long on that <laughs> continent. You mentioned the like sin problem that we all have. Like, doesn't that, if, if we're, we're born, and I, I know, I guess, like, from my elementary understanding of Christianity or the time I spent in the church, like, my explanation for that, um, for the dichotomy between God wanting us to be happy and God, or, and us also having a nature, a sinful nature, that that doesn't come from God. But I feel like those two things are in conflict a little bit. The, uh, the nature of ourselves as sinful creatures and the sin that is represented as an obstacle toward us, towards us achieving that happiness. Yeah, great. So I'll probably largely shuck the conversation of original sin and like how we're born sinful, although I believe it, to say this. And I, I, I believe it. It's an extension of the original sin idea, but I think it's also observable potentially independently. Okay, so you're lay, I'm laying out a lot of what I believe. Jesus is the son of God. He came to reconnect, reconnect us to God. You mentioned, though, before, and maybe one of the last things we close up before we go into the political expression of this is that, um, man, Christ has come to set us free from our flesh and from our desires. And like that is a staple throughout the gospel. I think Galatians 5 really, really lays it out where, where St. Paul, who was formerly Saul persecuting Christians, which is a really interesting, interesting testimony of one person. He probably didn't make a 180 degree flip unless he himself had a life-changing spiritual experience like he accounts for. However, he's saying that the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit is against the flesh. And these two are opposed to each other. So like really, you don't do what you want. That's a little bit of Romans 8. But he's basically saying with Christ, you can put to death your flesh and the desires of the flesh because Christ died. And then you can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the spirit, and he further says that there is no law against that. You can have that in abundance. You can't be those things enough. And that's what the spirit of God gives you. And so for anyone that has experienced negative Christians, bad church culture, strongly recommend red letter, read of the Bible, Jesus, the most famous person in world history, and see what he can, what he offers you when it comes to not only the forgiveness for sins, guilt, and regret, praise God all this fruit of the spirit in abundance. Like it is, it's life-changing. And so uh, trying to skip over the long well, so, story. So to, I, go ahead. No, I just want to jump in here just because what, what you just said kind of piqued my interest and tied me back to something you said earlier regarding the, the community and uh, that embraced you in a troubling time. And like, why well, I, I don't want to just jump ahead and assume that that like that feeling you felt, those, those arms you felt were 
just because of the the fact that you have a community in a world where community has been like completely dis you know completely yeah. dissolved by in my, my opinion capitalism but like i think what you're comparing that to is like the cultural products we receive which are expressions of the mode of production in which we live you know expressions of life under a capitalist system so I think that there are, I, well, I would just like to say that I think there are other ways to find those communities and, and find that, that sort of strength through that. Obviously, I think, you know, faith and belief has a lot to go into those things too. Well, and yeah. uh, that just this. Sorry. And I, I guess what you're saying is, yes, you can do no, different, many different things, but you've been to some of our like just men's groups, right? Where there's 60 dudes in a warehouse talking real stuff. And, you know, you've got cars from Maserati to like, buses showing up dropping people off and we're talking about common issues to plague men not just being real and vulnerable with each other but trying but encouraging each other pointing each other to jesus which is the common source of our strength and so you know what man you're talking about these groups again if you haven't like if anyone's out there that's just literally so much in disbelief about what i'm saying check out a bible study that sounds dumb but i am in two weekly maybe three three actually and man it's such like, we don't live, we don't have any family here in Dallas, but each one of our Bible studies threw us a baby shower. You know, we, they, we're praying for each other all the time. They know our business and we know theirs. So it's a, it is a community, man. And it's, um, we have these little mini communities. It's, it's, it's lovely. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, that's, that's something that we would do very well to, to get back to the question is how do you do it? Do you go in reverse and go to more traditional methods of community or do you go forward and try to find new ways to to create community? I think that's that's the question. And, and all of these, obviously, all of these factors that exist today, you know, capitalism, Christianity, these things that that form the world in which we live, like those will all be in some part part of whatever the new whole is. Question to the, the degree of which is, I think, you know, still very much up for debate. Fair and quick disclaimer: If you're checking out Bible studies, uh, one, pray that God leads you to the right one, and two you know what, go somewhere where they're willing to be courageous, strong in vulnerability. They're willing to point you to Jesus, not like give you solutions themselves. And cause that's, we believe all the solutions are in Jesus. And at literally closing mo moment before we get to the politics, I believe Jesus is the full embodiment of God. And so everything you want to learn about God, you can read about with Jesus uh, written by people who uh, multiple, at least that suffered painful deaths, believing what they wrote, writ to the death. So, how does that inform what, what the heck I believe politically? Well, yeah, man, I, I used to love doing debate and, and, and talking down progressivism or any kind of like liberalism, but- I'll reiterate for those who missed the intro, high school president of the Young Republicans Club. Ugh, yeah. Continue. Co-president <laughs> of student body as well. No. That's uh, right. So yeah, we, we had good coalitions. Captain of the football team too, don't Oh, stop He's it. Mark. All right, moving he on. So. Himself. Um, <laughs> all right, let me just lay out some principles that are just coming to mind, what the Bible lays out that you can say, wow, that's probably capitalist, anti-capitalist or just whatever. I believe that the, it is laid out. We need to love our neighbor as our, our, our self. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second is life. The first love your neighbor as yourself. Like that basically summarizes the entire Torah. Okay. It also says throughout all the prophets and I think a lot of what Paul's saying we're also to love the poor and oppressed unequally. We're, we're, we're supposed to love them more. I, it's, it's, it's a really interesting way to just sort of put this, but a lot of Jesus's parables also talk about Christians who are not making it into the kingdom of heaven. And so for everyone out there that is thinking, yeah, well, like I just have to go to church and show up. No, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ, have his blood wash over your sins and, have, and, and be a son or daughter of God. I mean, Jesus, right, says, like, I think that's kind of the point where I left the churches. I had that realization and I was like, oh, well, I don't feel that way. What realization? Um, well, just like that realization of like, oh, like Christianity is not about going to church. Like you have to believe on a level that is like literally take up your cross and follow me. Like, you know, like renounce your old life and and take up a new one and at the time i was just like oh well, i've ne I never felt deeply enough about this that like i'm willing to make those changes okay yeah i appreciate that no and um better to be hot or cold than lukewarm the lord says so no but i just think that from my perspective that's what i gathered from it as well fair this whole christian hedonism thing where the only way you can be the most happy is jesus 
is a consideration that I'd hope ask you to consider. Um, moving back to the Bible points and, and, and the justice stuff, we're told to seek justice. We're also told if thou shall not work, thou shall not eat. And so you, I've heard a lot of Christians with microphones talking about, hey, socialism, for instance, incentivizes laziness or irresponsibility. And then the, we have the entire book of Acts, particularly chapters one and two, three, that lay out that there was basically a Christian community where people were willingly, freely selling all their possessions or some of their possessions, giving them to the church leaders, and they were sharing things equally and living in community. I think that's probably the best example of socialism world over. Um, yeah, I think I've kind of like long thought of that point of view or that perspective of being like, oh, well, Christians or uh, that, you know, socialism, if you believe that you don't have to work to get everything you need, then like or to get you know money, then you like no one will work. But I think that's says a lot about betrays a lot about the people saying that's beliefs because then they're saying I'm only incentivized to work because of money. That's the well, only thing that gets me up in the day, which I think a lot of other people, I, I mean, I work for reasons or do I'm doing this for reasons other than money. Yeah, it's it gets to the nature of uh, where some Christians come off on on socialism. And that is that we have a very poor view of human nature. I view myself without Christ. Dude, I would be everything from sexually immoral, greedy, ambitious, drunken, carousing, promiscuous, like uh, just a, a, a monster and I, or just, you know, selfish ambition. And I would do all good things just to be uh, further my own ends. And so I believe, and, and I think it's, it's clearly laid out in the Bible that we're either a slave to ourselves or to sin, or we're a slave to the, the son of God. Like we get the choice. That's what freedom is. That's what the Christ, the freedom Christ brings. He lets you decide who you, who you want you to, uh, you want to have as your slave master. And so then can you be moral if you're not Christian? Well, I'm, I think in moral, a Christian worldview, I think moral is in a sense of like what our ethics are and ethics are just like an adjudication of values. So you can be moral um, in a, an American sense. Sure. I don't think you can be super moral and get to heaven or super moral and know God like personally, but you sure. Can but what moral. I'm saying is you said, if you weren't a Christian, then you would be doing all these despicable things. There's plenty of people who never do despicable things and are never Christians. Um, fair. I think that our definition of despicable is certainly different than what God's definition of despicable is, which is like any other God other than him. It says he gets so mad, he gets red in the nose at people's idolatry. Right. Right. So if he, if there's a God that gave you life and sustains your life and you're not only de-glorifying him, but you're literally worshiping something else, it's he, he literally likens it to adultery. And like really graphic adults. So if your idol was was service to humanity, that you believe that that would give you all the things you needed in your life, then that is in essence sin in the eyes of God. I mean, I, I mean, it makes sense, but um, I believe so. Clear. Yeah, I mean, yes, and God can make a lot of good happen out of bad motives or like other motives than Him. But yes, so a few other key points in the Bible: wealth isn't wrong, but loving wealth is, and that we can't serve two masters, God and Mammon. I have been thinking about it a little bit, and I think the origin of this private property idea comes from, I don't want to say he's the origin, but John Locke clearly in the two treaties. And he's basically saying that we are God's property. And because we're God's property, we have a right to appeal to heaven when the sovereign, who was you know the social contract at the time, isn't engaging and isn't isn't honoring the social contract between the governor and the govern and the governed, right? And so th- through that we get this belief that if I'm God's property, I can ha- I I should have be able to have a right to my own life, my own liberty to pursue my own life and the property that I'm uh, may earn or own, right? And so that's where that comes from. I don't disagree with it. I definitely think that um, that the idea of communal ownership especially in a society where people aren't forced to believe in Jesus or forced to believe in something is probably a bad idea just because I'll give the shirt off my back if we're all in it together. But if like, if we're not, then, then we're not. Does that make sense? Well, it's kind of interesting that, that, that kind of juxtaposition of us being God's property. And then in so far as like, because we are that we are able to, you know, fully express that in, in a liberal world. But like if that's the case that we're all God's property, then that means like the other people we interact with are also God's property. So if yes, you sir. disrespect that and you exploit that and you do those things, which 
are, you know, a, very a foundational to the, in my opinion, to the basis of, of a capitalist or a liberal society as well. Yeah. Um, then those, those, that's the problems you're going to run into. Yeah. And here's where we're going to start lighting up the right side of the, the aisle here. Uh, I don't know if Jesus were to come down or have a, a conversation with some of our lawmakers or some of the people who vote for our lawmakers, like with me and said, Chase, like, you know, do you think it's, it's representative of me and what I was here for? Um, setting people free, connecting them with God, uh, loving, you know, telling people that like literally if they're slapped, they should turn their cheek or they, if, you know, if forced to go with someone as Jews were forced to carry a Roman pack one mile, go with them too. Do you think like, you know, everyone should have healthcare if, 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 you know, cause on one hand, this is where I came from and I'll get into the, where I was and where I came from sort of quickly healthcare. I was thinking, well, is healthcare a natural, right? Well, let nature provide it basically a idea of uh, positive and negative rights, but looking at what wise men who fear God ought to be doing. Yeah. I think in, in my society, when there's this much wealth, it can be, it can be shared. It's not only practical, it's, it's, it's moral, as you said. Well, I mean, uh, I think you'd say the same thing about any of the, you know, quote unquote, natural rights we have, like you know, freedom of speech is a natural right. Let nature provide it and protect it, you know? And I think that those, like anything well, that we it, say right, is I mean, a natural right it. is something that we have just as a society culturally agreed upon as things that we value. Yeah. I don't, I really don't like this language of rights because it, it, it waters down what a right is. Right. So like if everyone has a freedom of speech, should we give everyone a microphone so everyone can be heard? No, it's one, it's impractical. And two, it, no, that's not the, the point. The pro point is you have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? You can pursue that to your extent. I think we can get into privileges, things like healthcare, things like, uh, you know, a place to live, a living wage, these sort of things, because we're deciding as a moral body that in our society, we're only going to let this, uh, let producers produce like this or consumers consume like this. So I'm telling you, and this is where I'm really getting into my confusion. Healthcare is one death penalty. You know, dad, man, listening to all the revolution podcasts and made a strong series of cases to me that says like, Chase, one, I think the death penalty is manipulated or has over history. And you know, I just don't know Jesus would support that. And it's kind of put me off my on my heels because I thought I could make a really principle based argument for the death penalty. You use your free will to kill someone else's free will. We should put you on that road yourself. Um, From a political secular perspective, there there are some ar arguments for it, I would say. But like, well, I think it's difficult to come at like, from a Christian perspective. He's got a point, man. And if it, and if it yeah. came down, for instance, let me throw some really ones out there. Like if you think you're for a um, um, pro-life and you want to save as many babies as you can. And by the way, my wife is eight months pregnant. The baby hiccups in, the, in her womb, opens his eyes in his womb, dreams in her womb. Dude, that baby is alive, right? And so, like, you get, people got to figure that out. I think we, we, we dehumanize some things that could lead to some other things. But if, if, as a Christian, you're not willing to give up the death penalty, not willing to give up and provide universal health care, particularly for women and children, and you're not willing to literally support a universal contraceptives mandate, then how can you say you're pro-life? Right. Like if, if you, you I think and this is where I started to realize I'm maybe getting manipulated and so are other Christians because like I'm getting played on my social values. And, and but, like, I think we'd all agree that the last the last thing we'd want to jump to, to to fix a social evil is to make it illegal or ban something or or put extra impositions, let more shackles on us. When there's other ways we can achieve similar ends, but through maybe more inclusive types of, of policy. I'll start with, I think folks who say they're pro-life have been tricked into being pro-life before birth and then less pro-life after birth. And, and we need to freaking uh, cure our hypocrisy. And so I'll get into some of just the splits I see, right? And I've got mentors and friends in each one of these categories. And I hear Christians with microphones in a few different ones. So it is really, and if you think there's like on, you're on the left side of the aisle and you think Christians vote in a, a block or you're confused, it's like either Trump or not, not true. There's way more confusion for people that are really trying to seek it out. And if you're on the right side and I've got some friends who can't imagine someone being not one of these categories, then you got to maybe read some more scripture, particularly what Jesus said. And so first category, we'll, we'll classify them as Trumpers. They believe that we should have a, that we, we have a biblical worldview and that biblical worldview has really aided Western culture and it's good for it, right? Almost capital G. And that is largely true. Like, like, like big asterisk on slavery and, you know, some other um, systematic oppressive things that we've done, which I would classify as hypocrisy, not the belief. Like 
it's the, the, the essence of private, it's basically uh, individual rights, Protestant work ethic. I mean, even Martin Luther said, which I am totally not for everything he said, uh, it's his essence of calling, how man call, God calls man to individual things. And, it, and it's not just a leisure class of like a sophist or a priest, but that he said something like, when a father changes a diaper, God smiles, right? Everything you do is for the glory of God. Now that like propelled the West past the Middle East and, uh, and, and the East, right? And I think now for right, it was definitely like a technology that really sped along the transition of that revolution from feudalism to capitalism. I mean, I think, you know what, if I, if I were to throw it together, yeah, our Protestant work ethic and belief in individual rights because we're God's property birthed a lot of prosperity and materialism. And that materialism gave birth to apathy and division. And now we're here saying like the system that got us here isn't good anymore. And I think what we need, I think, I think just to, just to clarify real quickly that I think at least, or I would push back slightly to say that at first it birthed a monstrosity that introduced way more misery into the world than it did actual joy or happiness or pleasure. Eventually capitalism produced a world that was uh, ostensibly wealthier or more comfortable at the very least. Yeah. But for those first, those first couple of centuries, I mean, it was pretty, for the vast majority of people involved in the system, it was a brutality that they had never experienced under feudalism. That's a great example. And I'm really going to expose some ignorance of mine. So people may hate me for believing once what I believed, but yeah, manifest destiny. I was basically, and I'd said it multiple times. Yeah. We won it in a war, like some just, some unjust actions, but we took it over. Right. As I've like, if I'm man, uh, a captain in the union army, or if I'm a politician and we're, we're tricking Indians lying to them, right? Man, how is that honoring God? It, it, so, so we've made some monstrous mistakes and let me get through my, my points here or on my, my, my voters, sure, I sure. think. So you've yeah, got people yeah. who think we need to advance that worldview and it's good, right? And that transcends marriage, that transcends social economic value, right? Then you've got like the never Trumpers, but still believe that we should advance a biblical worldview. And they're the never Trumpers because, and I've got a few really good friends, mentors like this. They didn't think the juice was worth the squeeze. They couldn't justify voting for someone they thought was clearly unrighteous, particularly um, in, the, in the Christian right. We've been saying the morality and the faith of the candidate is important. And this one isn't that. And then we've got people flipping script and saying, well, it's really the platform, not the personality. Is it like a sense of like them feeling like it's it cheapens the faith, you know, like they're like a like they'd be selling out or what? What, what, what is the uh, man to t- drastically summarize it? It's uh, they have they have a reverence for the office of the presidency and two, they have, you know, a good friend of ours. Hopefully we get him on studying to be a priest, loves Jesus, circulated a, a Catholic diocese voter guide. And it basically said, hey, your highest obligation to vote isn't practicality as in the lesser of two evils your highest obligation is righteousness and so vote for who you can consciously vote for i thought that was a really good way to state some people didn't think they could consciously vote for uh for the president okay. comes down to an individual kind of like can you uh, do it or not? between you and god right yeah. yeah okay um so that's number two number three is one issue voter right and i know some some really loving big impactful people who would say, I would pretty much vote for one of the devil's lieutenants if, if, it, if they, I knew they were going to get rid of abortion. And for people who are on the left that think it is just like, man, I have gotten into wild arguments with people I shouldn't have gotten in arguments with about this. And I, I'm not trying to, in this conversation, and I, I guess I already have in some sense, but right now, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to explain the importance of this uh, to, in people's minds. They, people look at it as like the modern day slavery. We justified slavery through dehumanizing them, Right. We justify um, abortion through dehumanizing what's in a, a mother's womb. And a lot of people think we can't talk about social justice until we recognize life and the, and, and, the, and the worth of that. And then we can start working on other things. So that's where you get these voters. Which is a pretty radical belief to have, not necessarily that it's life, but that uh, we can't talk about other stuff until we well, handle this. yeah or talk about other stuff but they're only willing to vote on other stuff so i mean you got to put yourself back in like the you know in the slavery time frame right if you're willing to at least kind of conceptually go along with my my comparison okay so we've got slavery um pre-civil war are you a one-issue voter i'm not asking you but it's hypothetical like or are you like wow oh, boy that's a moral evil but the economy matters too 
You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I, I, if, if that's what you believe. And that's why I've always felt like it's the biggest point of cleavage and like a almost uncrossable bridge between the two different belief systems. Because it's either you be, if, if you're looking at an event that happens and someone believes that it's murder and the other person doesn't, where do you reconcile those two things? Whereas, whereas there, that's why it feels like there is no meeting in the middle at times. Um, but I think we can all agree, or I would think that you would agree with this statement it, that like, like for instance, like abortion bans in Georgia and that sort of thing, like that's not going to convince anyone that it's not murder or that it is murder. You know, you know what I mean? Ah, that's like, their, their minds aren't going to be changed by that. They will feel oppressed. I, 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 yeah. You know how personally I believe this because of my own story. I agree with what you just said. There is a certain morality of the state. Like I think you can have just and unjust laws, right? So an open uh, uh, abortion law, you know, even like in, in some statements that have been thrown out there, I know a little bit hyperbolized by the media, but yeah, like until the mother decides it's hers and she wants it, it you know, it can be a termination. Like, really? And so, um, and so Christians see that as like a continuation, like where does it stop, right? And so you just got to, it, it really, a lot of people are one issue voters because of this. And if, and to be honest, just as an ode to socialism here, and man, if they were willing to commit to like, man, we're going to totally industrialize adoption, we are going to do all these things and we will like stand against late term abortions or whatever else. I think you'd see a lot of Christians go, dang, the one Trump card to use the phrase lightly that you've got on me is now what they're thinking. Like, I'll just say, consider it, save lives and win conservative yeah. voters. So <laughs> pitch to you. Um, don't yeah, get answered. Just, I, that would be a difficult pitch to sell, but well, we'll I know, move but on. It's, but I'm just, it's a consideration. Uh, finally, you've got, I think what um, you've got another mentor of mine talked about, like, you know, the kingdom of God is, uh, is established on the, uh, on the foundations of righteousness and justice. And one political party is pretty hardcore righteous or tries to be. And one political party is hardcore justice and tries to be. And so you have a lot of people who really believe in justice, particularly social justice, and that's their preeminent issue. And abortion you know um i got another mentor thinks it's like catholic guy it's it's not something he wouldn't do doesn't believe in it but is not going to force anybody else to so sort of a kennedy thing right so that's those five voters and i agree and disagree with each one of them in a way as crazy as that is and so a lot of christians will come off and say hey we just got to follow the holy spirit because the spirit does lead us into things and the spirit can lead us into different directions and i think still be valid the spirit of god's more than one dimensional but it is like sure. we're getting we're getting really far off in these different directions. And so for other Christians out there that haven't wrestled with one of these other four issues, like it's freaking confusing, man. You're not arguing over uh, semantics about, uh, you know, translations. This is this is this is real deal sort of like how do we as Christians operate in the world? And I think there are some people amongst all those those uh, groups who would like to see that become the dominant way of yeah. christian thinking you know sorry and i'm working one... to see that so we, you guys have some stuff to work out like yeah socialists I've got, do, I've got, there's even one more group you know just coming to and it's um the folks and man there are some just call it out some elder black brothers in my church right now who like marched with dr, dr. luther king left the army because they thought it was it was heresy like right in the 60s like hardcore that have now turned to you know i vote where my conscience leads but the real thing i ought to be focusing on is loving Jesus and, 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 and sharing the good news and discipling people to be more like Jesus because Jesus transforms people. Jesus can cure racism. And I, and I know that sounds like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, because you hear it on the news. But I'm talking like, have a personal experience with Jesus and see what it does if it doesn't change you. You know what I mean? Well, I certainly believe that it has a more transformative impact of your life than, you know, like some uh, token tokenized uh, Marvel movie that it represents, you know, diversity in our culture. So I'll give it, give a credit to that. I mean, I think, you know, that I wouldn't still be married if like, we didn't really have something to latch on to um, that was greater than each one of us individually. And, you know, I could go into other personal examples of like how I've, like I mentioned before, we get to know God and we start praying, God reveal yourself to me. We start learning characteristics of god that blows me away dude i was crying in bible study last night totally wasn't expecting to just talking about god's humility and now i want to be more humble because that's like god so uh, how we chop it up politically man is is i think getting manipulated somehow more by more than one side i just don't haven't figured it out yet yeah by more than i would say definitely by more than one side or but both both sides make appeals to some of those motivations, although about 80% of Christians, if, if my figures are right, are GOP or conservative voters. 
largely. That's majority. So not, it's not to say that they're like fully manipulated by them, but it, it, they have absorbed the evangelical movement into their political party. Yeah. So in, in America, in the United States. So, you know, some things just as a highlight I, I, I see as a common place is that like, man, one, uh, different churches have different missions, but yeah, the care for the poor, I, I think that's a legitimate thing that, and the oppressed, widows, orphans, even those who have lost jobs, right? Like uh, the pro-life afterlife, all these sorts of things that we've traditionally been like, oh, that's a handout. Man, I've just had too many experiences that Jesus has led me toward. I say Jesus, like God's led me towards that, you know, single mom uh, that uh, that's working 38 hours a month, right? And, you know, another, you know, 12 hour a month or 20 hour a month, uh, 20 hour a week, excuse me, job going to cut her a, you know, a check and feel good about myself. And Spence like, dude, you need to pray about it. Like, is that what you're supposed to do? Turns out, you know, we get her to know, and this is like one of many stories. There's more going on. Right. And so I, I feel like we take advantage of people like, you know, another just top of the mind example is we rounded up illegal immigrants. Right. Um, and the, some of these latest ice raids, but I did not see one business owner who hired that illegal immigrant um, uh, knowingly face any kind of punishment. Right. And so like, yeah, I just saw today that uh, legal immigrants who work in or undocumented immigrants who work in meatpacking plants will not be eligible for the vaccine, although their coworkers will be. Uh, God, that burns me. Uh, which is kind of like, you know, I mean, that's that's showing your face, you know, not to say that that's Christianity showing its face, but that's definitely like I would say the modern. Uh, I don't even want to say just conservative because I think, unfortunately, there is some by uh, partisan agreement on things like that. But I would say it's more owned by conservatives than it is by them. I mean, I don't want to get into that because I don't care about Democrats at all. But, you know, there you have it. Yeah, that's uh, one thing I'm really confused on is immigration policy right now. Um, but so, OK, like, obviously, it sounds like you're, you're sort of not necessarily adrift, but you are definitely surveying the horizon, seeing all these different directions you could go. But what do you feel like after your 30 years of experience and some more dedicated study? Oh, you revealed my age. Where, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're much older than me now. Keep going. But uh, I would say that the, like, wh- what, where does the Bible have you at now? Where, how, like, what do you think it is telling you about any of these political systems or is it telling you anything about them at all? I don't think the Bible preaches socialism or capitalism uh it's god's redemption story uh with mankind through jesus christ that's why so samantha born and raised jewish reason speaks like from hebrew there are prophecies that are in the dead sea scrolls to talk about jesus right and i think one thing that jesus does really well is he gives truth and love and uh, i think truth without love is brutality and I think that's most of what I hear politicalized Christians coming off as just because maybe the nature of politics. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I also, sorry, just because you've got me on the summarization point. No, go ahead. Hit it. I think the failure of Christianity in America to lead the hearts of capitalism is ushering in secular socialism because capitalism with a self-interest rightly understood, Tocqueville, and with charity and with genuine kind for your uh, care for your mankind, like we shouldn't be having these problems. And so, well, that, I, yeah. Hence why I'm thinking like, wow, man, maybe I need to like not stump for political candidates, but I just need to invest more and pray more for, you know, uh, my neighbors. And so besides this podcast, yeah. this is pretty much, this is pretty much what I'm doing. Cause you know, it seems the only thing I can do right now. Well, I feel like socialists are, are facing a similar sort of predicament, which yeah. is that there is no, politician to you know like pursuing like national politics or anything like that is at this point if not completely impossible like fairly useless we there's not there's not much there there if that makes sense and and what we can do uh for those who like feel like their lives are completely spinning out of control they see you know these ghouls who are you know trying to destroy the the last vestiges of community and life and humanity that we still hang on to it's that return to what is happening in your actual life how can you impact things that are happening in your actual life yeah i mean you know what um socialism could take an ode from the muslim brotherhood and really like get into loving people social services 
Um, I don't recommend going that direction, you know, check out Jesus first, <laughs> but go local, you know, cause I, to be honest, I would vote for a socialist mayor if like I knew him and I, you know, I know where his house was just because, you know, I think different kinds of politics are applicable and, and, and practical on different kinds of levels. You know, I'd be willing to pitch in a little bit more with everyone in my city or my, especially my neighborhood than like a country. Cause I don't know the people in Maine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you, uh, if you have a socialist mayor, so the accountability of that person is a lot easier or a lot more within your grasp. Yeah. And, um, just the one thing that, you know, socialism has got a problem with too, especially we're talking about like the human heart and, you know, I think it's, it's flawed and you can be a good guy or a good gal and, and still like power is going to corrupt you. And that's a problem that I see that socialism starts to bring into is that like you start forcing people's economic distribution, like economic power leads to political power. And, you know, and I, I don't trust people to, to, to you sound like you're describing capitalism. Economic power leads to political power and power. Yeah, corrupts. Man, it does. I, I get you. And so I, I think that we, if anything, like a crucial thing is Madison Fed 10, where, you know, we've kind of broken down some of the constraints to lobbying. And have really like set loose corporate influence on laws. I'm not saying it hasn't always been that way, but before I don't want to go. I need to reread Madison 10 before we do that. Or Fed 10. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either of us has all this sorted out in our heads in terms of where Christians and socialists fit in in America currently, and what would be the exact best ways to you know bridge some of those divides and and help us recognize um, that common humanity as as we've talked about. Hopefully through these discussions, we can, we can figure some stuff out. So I uh, really appreciate you uh, saying so much about sharing so much about your faith. I think it was, uh, it was pretty enlightening to me, hopefully to other people as well. Yeah. There's a lot more personal stories that support that. Like I said, some of the stories aren't my own, but, but yeah, very happy to zoom anybody in for a Bible study in case they want to check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Drop that, drop that in the comments section and we will uh, reach out to you. Yeah, we'll have just a, across the gold Bible study. There you go. So you have to participate. <laughs> so, <though. laughs> this has so. uh, been the last of our introductory episodes. Now you've gotten to know Chase and I a little bit. You've gotten to know uh, what we believe um, to a, a small extent. Yeah. Going forward, Cyrus, three things while we're doing something else. One, discuss current events and make sure we've got uh, the best view on them while we're staying informed. I think two, uh, cultural topics, books, movies, uh, from our particular perspectives. Uh, three, we're pursuing truth, right? And whatever system's best. And if I've got, I'm trying to get rid of blind spots. What I mean is pursuing truth. And I mean it politically and I mean it spiritually. And I hope it's for both of us. And ultimately what we're, what we're trying to do is encourage each other to love more, whether it's a socialist in your next door neighbor, or whether it's a Christian and someone in your work, it, um, we are trying to be better people here. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.